Make sure to give my dad a five-star review. Get, make sure to like and subscribe to his YouTube. And thank you for listening and enjoy the show. show. <laughs> But I would look at the people that do believe in QAnon as kind of like the people that do believe in CNN or the people that do believe in Fox or do believe in Andy Stanley or do believe in Rick Warren or do – you know, it's like sources of information. I love that people have information, but I think you, we all need to say regardless of where you're getting that information, we need to vet it, proof it, cite it, source it. And I, this belief that there's a single all-knowing white hat – the White Hats have a secret plan. Um, I don't see that, and I know all the people that would be, quote-unquote, the White Hats, and none of them have a plan. Hey, welcome back, Faithful Politics listeners and viewers. If you're watching this on our YouTube channel, I am your political host, Will Wright, and I'm joined by your faithful host, Josh Bertram. Hello, hello. What's going on, Will? Uh, not much. And this week we have with us uh, Mr. Clay Clark, who is a... U.S. Small Business Administration Entrepreneur of the Year, business owner, consultant, author, and speaker. He's the founder of Thrive15.com, an online education material for entrepreneurs, but is probably well more well-known as the founder, organizer, MC, and host of the Reawaken Tour with uh, Michael Flynn. So welcome to the show, Clay. Awesome. Hey, I appreciate you guys allowing me to, to be here with you today. Thanks a lot. Yeah, no yeah, problem. Thanks so for coming on. So, so, so maybe, maybe talk to us or start us off by just telling us about, you know, kind of your, your early career. Like who is, who is Clay Clark um, well, early um, in his career? And <laughs> one, I, I'm not that impressive. I'm just very organized and very aggressive. And so I uh, grew up really poor. And I think a lot of people listening probably grew up as poor or more than I was. I was yellow box <laughs> poor, uh, generic brand poor. Uh, my dad worked at, delivered pizzas um, and worked as a, at a gas station, you know, in his late 30s poor. That's how poor we were, you know. Um, and uh, I just knew at a very young age I didn't want to be poor anymore. So I started an entertainment company out of my parents' basement um, called DJConnection.com. And uh, uh, at the time, though, it was called C&G DJ Service. But the, the iteration of a DJ company was there. And we would do, uh, I would do uh, sound and lights for – started off with a middle school dance and then another middle school dance and then a high school dance. And then before I sold it, we were doing 4,000 events per year. And I uh, got Whoa. rich quick by uh, working at Applebee's, Target, and DirecTV. I had three jobs, and I used all that money to get rich quick by working 100 hours a week every week for about a year and a half, two years to save up all that money to get the seed capital. Um, and then when I was about 20-ish, I think it was 21, 20, I was named as Entrepreneur of the Year by my city because of all the success we were having. And I thought, well, okay, that's Interesting. Um, and that was my first interaction with political people because I met people both on the left and the right who I disagreed with about every subject. Um, and then I was <laughs> I won another award. I was 27 as the Entrepreneur of the Year for the Small Business Administration. And yet again, I met people on the right and the left, of which I disagreed with all of them about every subject every time um, because I found that I was more of a libertarian. I just want to be left alone and be let to do my own thing. Mm -hmm. um, and when I sold the entertainment company, about about 18 months, two years before I sold the company, people kept calling me going, hey, I'm a dentist. Could you help me grow my business? I'm a lawyer. I'm a doctor. I'm a, and I'm going, huh? And they go, well, don't you have a party rental company too? And I said, yeah. And they said, don't you have a real estate company too? Yeah. Don't you flip houses? Yeah. Don't you? And I, I didn't recognize that being somebody who was making revenue from 20 plus revenue streams was abnormal 
because I naturally don't spend a lot of time with other people. I spend most of my time just focused on my tasks. And so um, I thought, you know what? I'll form an LLC. So 2005, I started a company called Make Your Life Epic. Not Make Your Life Great, but Make Your Life Epic, which is sort of the <laughs> journey that you go through overcoming you know, adversity and route to all, your ultimate success. Yeah. And uh, since that time, I've worked with 160 clients. And for full transparency, if anybody goes to thrivetimeshow.com and you look at the testimonials, we document their successes or their case studies and how my program works. Um, imagine you went to business school and you paid $1,700 a month, month to month. And your professor says, I want a small percentage of the growth. So you pay $1,700 a month to go to the school, but I want to keep one one and a half percent, two and a half percent of the gross, of the growth, mm. the gross growth. And so, um, you know, a lot of my clients, so I can just give you an example, uh, PMH, OKC, it's Perfect My Home, not political guy. He builds pergolas, outdoor kitchens. Um, when I started working with him, he, he did $50,000 a month of sales. And now he does $1.4 million a month of sales. And so I get a small percentage of that growth. And so I found a lot of the entrepreneurs were like, I love what you're teaching me, man, but I don't have a videographer, <laughs> photographer, bookkeeper, workflow mapper, sales team. And I said, I will supply all that for you as part of that $1,700. But I just want a small percentage of the growth. And so that's what I do. And my average client is with me for about six to seven years, usually until they exit or they sell the company. Um, and I've been doing that since 2005. So that would be a year 18 now that I've been doing that. Mm. Wow. That's, that, that, that's pretty amazing. So, so it's amazing. What, what was life like growing up in the, in the Clark house? I mean, you know, uh, well, were, were, dad, you, were you political religious? Uh, well, we, we went to assembly of God. Uh, that was the church we went to. Um, I think we were, I were taught that, uh, God created the earth and that, uh, God gives you rights. And governments are instituted amongst men to uphold those rights. I don't know that um, it was taught verbally. I don't know that it was taught, but I, I know that that was sort of like the the maybe theological boundaries, which was normal for me at that time growing up. Um, but I I have always had um, somewhere between a dislike and a disdain for the um, political class who typically have a very symmetrical head. Or a very, uh, I mean, this is just what it is. If you have a very symmetrical head, and you have, uh, and you spend a lot of time um, working out, which is fine, and you are polite and sort of go with the flow, you're willing to, you're chameleon-like, you're willing to say what people want you to say. Those are typically the people that become politicians, at least the ones that I've met throughout my life. And so a lot of them have zero principles. So as an example, the Republicans back in the day, will they took me out to celebrate my success? And they took me to this this group of this delegation. Took me to to. They said, "Clay, we want to celebrate your success. We're taking you to D.C. to get your award." Woo! To quote Ric Flair. And so I'm there with my wife. <laughs> I'm like 24, 25, and I'm going. Um, can I ask who's paying for this meal? Because it's very expensive. And they go, "Oh, it's the taxpayers. Don't worry about it." I, go, no, 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 no. I don't want the taxpayers to pay for. It. I'm just going to pay for my own meal. And they're like, "What?" I mean, I, I don't, I don't want. Like, no, it's already paid for. I'm like, no, 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 no. And this was the Republicans. Now I can't. I wasn't, I wasn't at the Democrat gathering, okay? Um, but then we had a mayor at the time who was Democrat, and I noticed that she had the same exact view of money and resources as the Republican people. There was no differentiation at all. And so I would call that the uniparty. And uh, on just a shallow level, they 
each said different things, but they did the same thing. So they each had like a different mm. thing they said, but they did the same thing. So it was very interesting. And so that's kind of where I had my political awakening was when I was mm. receiving business awards. Mm. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I'm sure that as you went through life, you had to face a lot of adversity. You talked about how you were poor when you were young yeah, and yeah. how that really shaped the way that you were moving forward. You know, we've, um, what, what kind of adversity have you faced even like, um, like with health, the things in the family and what have you done to kind of push through that to well, get to you know, the other I wake side? up every day at 3 a.m. And I go to bed at nine. I wake up every day at three and I work until six. So my super success tip, my get rich quick tip is this. Uh, I get up at three and I work till six and I do it every day, six days a week. Now I derive that work ethic or that mindset from uh, the book of Genesis and Exodus, which I believe where God instructs you to work six days and rest on the seventh. That's my mindset. Um, I, I reject the uh, the forty hour work week concept, which was which was introduced by Franklin Delano Roosevelt in nineteen thirty eight through the Fair Labor Standards Act. I reject that idea, so I work six days a week. Um, so one of my you know growth, um, and again, I'm not endorsing their life their life outside of their career. I'm just telling you about their work ethic. Uh, most of the books I read that motivated me as a young guy would be like Life and Death by Russell Simmons. Read a lot of that. Read a lot of. Yeah. Uh, Early books about how P. Diddy did it. A lot of books, because I was a DJ. So a lot of the, the rappers, mm -hmm. right. um, early DJs, that was sort of where I got the, the, the ones that really would put in the work, you know, the grind. Uh, Africa Bombada, the way they promoted their parties, the way that the, the DJs went from DJs to MCs and from MCs to rappers, and that whole process of promoting albums. And so that's kind of where I was, you know. So the initial adversity was, you know, you have this DJ equipment. And you're trying to, I was trying to pay for college and college was about 15 grand a year. And I charged people $5 a head to go to my dance parties. All right. And I went to Oral Roberts University. So here's how I did it. I made flyers <laughs> and I would tell people I have a dance party in two weeks. So the two Mondays before the event, I'd say in two weeks on Friday, we're having a dance party. It's going to be at the Marriott where it's going to be very hot. And it would get cut, it would get stuck in their head because it's a Marriott where it's very hot. It's just stuck in your head. It rhymes. So it's nice. Marriott where it's very hot. And they would go, what is it? It's a dance party. It's the Marriott where it's very hot. And so I would promote <laughs> it and I would pass up flyers. And people were like, dude, you've already told me this. I'm like, have I told you about the dance party at the Marriott where it's very hot? And I would do every day. And then I promoted, I, I paid very popular people because I learned about this from the hip hop game that nobody wants to listen to the rap song unless they know the name of the rapper. So a lot of times rappers, <laughs> uh, they'll, they'll feature a new artist on their song. So it'll be like Dr. Dre featuring Eminem, which makes Eminem relevant because Dre introduces him. That's, that's sort of the, mm -hmm. the deal. So I would have the popular kids in school, I mean the, the, the Division One athletes, the guy who everybody knows, and I would say, hey, you need to tell everybody you're coming to the party and I'll give you 10% of the proceeds if we get to 500 people. And they're like, oh, that's cool. So this is pre-Facebook, but these dudes would tell everybody, hey, I'm going to the Marriott where it's very hot. Come see me and Clay. Let's go. So that's how we did mm -hmm. it. And then I would put bubble soap or so like dish soap in the massive fountains. <laughs> this is very sacrilegious, but it was in the prayer fountains. <laughs> and they had these massive fountains at, or at Oral Roberts University. And I would put soap in the fountains on the, uh, the during the chapel that preceded the dance party. So people would go, oh, snap, he's got a party this Friday. Because <laughs> it was like, again, <laughs> Toma, top of mind awareness. So what can you learn from that? One, you have to have a pithy pitch, a pithy pitch. 
that makes you want to scratch that mental itch, the pithy pitch. So if you get stuck in your head, then then it's hard to forget it, right? So the pithy pitch. So the Marriott where it was very hot, and then you have to have top of mind awareness, and you usually have to tell people five to ten times the same thing before it gets stuck in their head. So you start to so that, you know, but then you the adversity was the people on the campus are like stop telling me about your party, stop it, no one cares, stop it, no one. <laughs> but then over time it flipped where everybody was going. People were like, dude, are you going? When's your next mm. party? That was crazy, you know. So that was that. Um, and then you know, getting the money for the for the equipment, you know, working at Applebee's and Target and Directv, making seven bucks an hour, working hundred hours a week, you know, sleeping four or five hours a day for years, and that was that was a challenge. Um. And then when I decided to drop out of school, because I was sat down with a professor, and I said, how much do, do you make per year, sir? It was a private conversation. And he said, X amount. And I said, so if I stay in this particular degree program and I graduate, it is likely that I will earn how much? And he tells me. And I said, okay, I'm going to drop out then. That was just my thought process. He was wise. It was I already earned <laughs> twice that. Because I had already figured out a way yeah. to earn twice what the professor made as a college student. So that's kind of where it was. And, and so if you're going to be a successful entrepreneur, I'll give you three statistics that are not encouraging, but they're real. 96% of small businesses fail, according to Inc. Magazine. 85% of employees lie on resumes. What? According to Inc. Magazine. And 75% of employees steal from the workplace. And if you don't believe me, go start a business and hire people. You'll see it. So the <laughs> next level of adversity was just managing people, you know, being a 20-year-old boss, managing 40-year-olds, being a 20-year-old ba- boss, managing 45-year-olds, managing a 20-year-old, you know. That was it. <laughs> and then, you know, you just, as an entrepreneur, I'm just kind of a point. I, I used to stutter as a kid, so I got picked on quite a bit, and I'm just kind of have pretty thick skin at this point. And so... That's kind of where I'm at. And entrepreneurship is what I would rather talk about. I have very, I have no interest at all in the politics at all. And huh. if we were living through the implementation of this great reset nonsense, I would have no interest in discussing it at all because I have virtually mm. zero respect for every Republican I've ever met ever, and <laughs> respect for every Democrat I've ever met ever. The ones that are elected because they have no principles. I have just found that they go. What do you want to hear? And I've even seen people who are white guys put on a black voice to talk to the black crowd, whatever that means. I've seen the black guy <laughs> put on the white voice to talk to the white crowd. I'm serious. I watch, I've seen the white guy put on the hick accent to talk to the rednecks. So you'll see a guy, I mean, I, people that I know very well right now, mm. in, they'll go, well, I'll tell you what, in Oklahoma, they ain't going to come after <laughs> all the land and guns because but they don't talk like that normally. But when they go out to the country uh, to run, they go, well, I'll tell you what, I, I, to- <laughs> they do that stuff. Well, all shucks, I'll tell you what. And I'm going, it's just pandering. It's so, it's re- I think today most politicians are actors. Mm. <laughs> mm, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I was thinking one of the things that I don't, I don't like, correct me if I'm wrong, but did your, um, did your son, has he, did, did he struggle with blindness? Is there, yeah. There's a Did, book called um, Now I See that all your listeners can buy today if they want to on Amazon. Now I See, mm-hmm. written by my wife, Vanessa Clark. Or you can download it for free at thrivetimeshow.com forward slash free resources. Thrivetimeshow.com forward slash free resources. And I was not a believer in Christ. And uh, I was driving down the road uh, en route to Florida with my wife on a rare vacation because my son was blind. And I was having meltdowns. And en route to Florida... I was having meltdowns. What does that mean? Uh, I was fine during the work day, but as soon as I got home, I would just like lose it. So um, Mm -hmm. because my son was blind and my partner, you know, my business partner is an optometrist. And so we'd seen all the experts and uh, I went to Sam's Club and there's a book called God in My Corner written by George Foreman, which, by the way, is being made into a movie right now. And I knew that George Mm, Foreman was an awesome Mm -hmm. fighter. 
and I knew that George nice. had a supernatural experience that changed his life, but I never knew what it was. So I read the book, and George says the story that God appeared to him in a vision and told him, George, you need to quit boxing and serve me. And if you do that, I'm going to heal your, I believe it was his nephew who was in a coma. And George was like, what? Because George doesn't pray. George wasn't going to church. George wasn't reading the Bible. And he goes, I just feel like God is telling me this, but he didn't tell anybody. So he goes in a fight and he basically like passes out. And he's like, his trainer wakes him up, Roscoe, who, by the way, I've met Roscoe. I've had Thanksgiving with Roscoe. And Roscoe says, what happened? And he's like, I'm supposed to retire from boxing and serve God. And Roscoe's going, oh, oh, can I ask why? He's like, God told me. So he announces he's retiring. He gets a phone call before cell phones on the landline. And they call him in the training room. They go, hey, your nephew just got out of this coma. And he was like, what? So he had this spiritual awakening. And I thought, you know what, if, wow. if that could happen for George, you know, that could happen for me, because maybe George Foreman seemed more relatable wow. to me than, than, than the Bible. And so uh, my wife had been praying faithfully, and I was a jerk. I was telling my wife to stop praying in the house, because she used to do like prayer marches and prayer vigils and prayer, prayer, prayer. And I just kept saying, stop it. Stop praying. It's freaking me out. Well, anyway, our, our son started seeing shortly thereafter. And I went Whoa. back to the, uh, Dr. Groves. And back to the Dean McGee Eye Institute, and they've said he's a medical anomaly. We don't understand it. And from a liability perspective, they started saying, you know, things like, we definitely tested him, and he was definitely blind. This doesn't make any sense. And that's why I <laughs> right. had my um, awakening. But even as I tell that story now, it doesn't wow. seem real. And I'm always um, humbled by it because it doesn't make any sense. And so I just, mm-hmm. I just hope that um, – my mission that I'm on right now with this Reawaken America Tour event, by the way, if you go to um, timetofreeamerica.com and you go up there, you're going to see that a lot of the speakers, whether it be Bobby Kennedy Jr. Um, and others, they tend to be libertarian or like – See, if you're a complete uh, Whole Foods liberal, you typically eat organic. <laughs> okay, You're into organic and you're, you're organic and you're like the food corruption is not good, bro. We got to eat healthy, and there's a lot of that, that like liberal whole foods things. But then, if you're a lot of, <laughs> a lot of conservatives, are like well, I'm going to eat steak every day, every meal. I swear I'm going to eat steak. Like, okay, so there's like, so you almost have like Republicans advocating for deep fried corn dogs, and you have Democrats are advocating for organic avocados. So we sort of have the organic avocado pursuing, relentless truth seeking audience who doesn't, <laughs> and somehow it's caught momentum. Where now yeah. you'll have people that are on both sides that are up on stage. People are like, how did you get Bobby Kennedy? Or how did you get you know General <laughs> Flynn? What, how did that happen? And so it's a really um, – and the medical corruption that's going on is pretty next level too. So now we're getting doctors from both political parties that are joining the tour. And it really is. I mean it's, it's, uh, it's fascinating when two people start off to- totally divided because of whatever that is. And then when they seek the truth and they meet in the middle because they found the truth in the middle – That's what's happening on our tour. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, Josh Bertram here, faithful host of the Faithful Politics Podcast. I want to let you know about a compelling new spinoff, the Faith Roundtable, where I'll be interviewing top faith leaders, theologians, and scholars to unpack the pressing issues that are shaping the church in America today. We'll dive into topics like faith and public life, social justice, and how we can engage our communities more effectively. 
Make sure you don't miss any of our enlightening conversations by subscribing to it on our YouTube channel. Join me at the Faith Roundtable, where deep discussion meets thoughtful insight. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting, and I, I appreciate you sharing that the story of your son. Um, you know, I, I'm i an Army veteran, um, served several years in the infantry, had a really bad knee, wore a knee brace on it for years and years after I got out. Somebody prayed for it at like a a missions trip we went on, and and I and I had very low expectations that anything would happen because <laughs> yeah. like I've had multiple people pray for it, but uh, sure enough, like after they prayed for it, like I could take my knee brace off and just walk normal and couldn't explain it. And and at the time I was a youth pastor, so like all my kids were like, oh oh my gosh, Pastor Will, you know, like look look, look at your knee. Um, and to this day, I've never had to put it on. So I mean, you know regardless of kind of whether you're a believer or not, like I personally believe that miracles do happen and can happen. Um, and, um, it sounds like that's what happened with, with your son. So, uh, thank you for, for sharing that story. Uh, but, but I, I do want to switch gears though and talk, uh, about a event that you just mentioned, the reawakened yep. tour. So, so what, what is the reawakened tour? Well, I, it changes all the time. It's like iterations. So, uh, one is it's very <laughs> unprofitable. We'll start there. I lose a lot of money because you can name your price. So you, what? You can go to timetofreeamerica.com and you can pay whatever price is reasonable to you. So that makes no sense. The Rolling Stone came and shadowed me at one of the events. They rode in the white van with me. They're going, you drive a van with 140,000 miles on it? They go, oh, yeah. They go, <laughs> I, go well, I, I produce it. I MC it. I direct it. I do all of it. And they're going, really? And then they started interviewing vendors. So a lot of the main, I always invite the mainstream media and they can come independent too. And they're asking vendors, you know, what did you get paid to set up the sound system? What did you get paid to do the, you know, the janitorial? What did you get paid to do the porta potties? And then they're asking attendees, what did you pay for a ticket? Because they're doing their investigative journalism. And one of the reporters comes up to me and he says, you must be losing like a hundred grand every time you do this. And I go, yeah, it's a little more than that, but yeah. And he's like, what? Why are you doing this? So what I found was that the models that said 2.2 million people would die from this virus were false. They were you know, funded by Gates, et cetera. I found that the polymerase chain reaction test, the PCR tests that were invented by Kerry Mullis, were falsely calibrated to inflate cases. I found that the system and method for testing for this virus um, were... Uh, was patented in 2015. And you can find all this, but everything I'm saying is documented at time to freeamericacom forward slash revelation. And I found that the plan, the big plan that was out there was Klaus Schwab has this thing called the force industrial revolution. Ah, who is, by the way, his father was very close to Hitler. This is him. And his top advisors, Yuval Noah Harari. This is Yuval Noah Harari. And so I thought, what I'm gonna, this is before the lockdowns. I said, I'm going to go meet the governor, the mayor, mayors, governors, lieutenant governors, attorney generals. I'm going to explain this all to them. Because if the models are false, the PCR tests are false, and the treatments are real, there's no reason to have a shutdown. But I don't have any faith in politicians because I've met these people. So I go in, and I won't tell you which governors they were, but someone like, well, I'll tell you what, you know, in our state, brother, we're never going to shut down, you know me, because I put I put my state first, right? Right? I put my pants on just like you, brother. Yeah, well, now, what information do you got there? And I'm like, well, this is a PCR 
test. This is the inventor of the PCR test, Kerry Mullis. Over here to my right, this is a doctor, a real doctor. And he will explain to you how this can be falsely calibrated to inflate cases. But before we have him explain it, let's have the, the founder of the tests, Kerry Mullis. I have a one-minute video. He'll explain it to you. And he's like, well, brother, I'll tell you what now. You know, I don't really get into the science per se. I'm more of a, you know, I trust the experts. But you, you just leave that there for my assistant. We're going to, well, you want to meet with the attorney general? You, you, you want a, a, a commemorative hat? You want a hat, is brother? That, is that Bill Clinton? This is what Bill they Clinton, did. Is that you? This is just my Midwestern political voice. And then it kind of drifts. <laughs> and then I meet with another, you know, very a person who's in charge, very high up. And, and they're going, I love your book, Fear Unmasked. It's so good. It touched me. They even took a photo of themselves with my book. Now, why did it get banned on Amazon? It's such a nice cover. I'm like, have you read it? Well, I, I'm not an expert, you know, but you can trust me. We're mm. not going to lock down. Well, then the lockdowns happened. So I had already predetermined in my mind that in the events that the lockdowns happened, I would sue the mayor of Tulsa to keep the city open. I would advise my client, who's the mayor of Broken Air, to keep the city open. I would turn my building into a church, so because I knew the churches would fold, because I've met most of the pastors and they're woke, that if the church is locked down, my church would emerge. So I turned my building into a church, started flying out Pastor Leon Benjamin every Thursday. And if you go to rumble.com and you look for a remnant church, last Thursday, we streamed into 27,000 households, which is more people than all the mega churches in Tulsa combined. And then we have an, a, a church congregation of less than 75 people. I'm not a 501c3. I never ask for donations. I fund it all myself. If we fly in pastors to teach the word of God. I don't drive a Maserati as a result of your giving. I don't promise if you donate, you're going to make a tenfold return. And people are starting to wake up in droves. So the Reawaken America tour came mm. from that because we started having a thousand people a week come to my town halls. A thousand. And at one of them, General Flynn came to it. At one of the praise and worship rallies, Sean Foyt was there. And so that cast of characters that we met through those initial uh, acts mm. of defiance against the Great Reset are now speakers on the tour. So it's a very organic thing in that regard. And I just felt like God wanted me to use my time, treasure, and talents to help stand up for freedom because of the looming Great Reset that was coming. And so I've been doing that, and, and uh, I thought we would do one. We did the first one, and uh, we had uh, – I don't want to exaggerate the numbers, but it was like 5,100 people in attendance, but there was way over 50,000 people that requested a ticket, and 7.1 million people watched the video. Watched They streamed it online. So if you go to rumble.com and you look for Simone Gold, I think her video alone had 2 million views on my channel. It's crazy. You know, it's all, mm. and people were like, mm. yeah. what? So Flynn, General yeah, Flynn, that is kind of another one. And I said, uh, well, the first one was kind of painful. It's kind of like passing like a, you know, like a kidney stone or something, you know, because it's expensive. You don't make mm. any money. You get hit pieces written about you. And I'm like, yes, sir. Let's do another one. And so now we've built this really brotherhood and sisterhood, this fraternity of people that love our country and have sort of a disdain, disrespect, dislike for traditional politics as usual. So I would describe the mm -hmm. Reawaken America tours. It's the Great Reawakening versus the Great Reset. Got it. Is is there any connection, I guess, with the Reawaken tour and like uh, QAnon? Um, I don't do any of that. You'll never hear me cite it, quote it, research it, discuss it. Um, but I would look at the people that do believe in QAnon as kind of like the people that do believe in CNN or the people that do believe in Fox or do believe <laughs> in Andy Stanley or do believe in Rick Warren or do, you know, it's like 
sources of information. I love that people have information, but I think you, we all need to say, regardless of where you're getting that information, we need to vet it, proof it, cite it, source it. And I, this belief that there's a single all-knowing white hat, the white hats have a secret plan. Um, I don't see that. And I know all the people that would be quote unquote, the white hats and none of them have a plan. <laughs> Dude, that's funny. So, let me ask you about the Great Reset a little bit. So it's this. I, I, we're going to have you explain it from your perspective, but it's this like um, something come up in the World Economic Forum about how to uh, change kind of our economic uh, ways of doing life post-COVID-19. I know that's a very crude summary. Talk to us about your perspective of the Great Reset and its main goals and objectives and why do you yeah. think we should be concerned? Well, I have a, a two-minute audio I'm going to play for you, okay? Two-minute audio I'm going to play for you. And it's not in my voice. The person you're going to hear is Yuval cool. Noah Harari. So if you can just endure like 60 seconds of this, I promise I'll be right back. Okay, this is Yuval Noah Harari. This will blow your mind. Here we go. In the abstract, the ability to hack human beings means the ability to understand humans better than they understand themselves. There is something new. The borderline is the skin. Previously, almost all the information gathered on you was outside your skin, where you go what you buy, what you watch, what you press on your or TV, what you press on your keyboard. This is the, the information that flowed. But the future is about going under your skin and looking directly at what is happening in your heart, in your brain, what is your blood pressure, which parts of your brain are activated now. I mean, COVID makes it, it accelerates the process of digitalization and, and automatization. It legitimizes the deployment of mass surveillance, and it makes surveillance go under your skin. This is Richard Werner, the top academic scholar in the world on central banking. The nature of the CBDC, what, what is it actually going to look like? They never talk about that. Right. Um, but I heard one European central banker tell me what it's going to look like. He saw it. Um, and it was around this, this large and would be implanted under your skin. DC. If that happens, we're done. Catherine Austin Fitz, I have a question for you, ma'am. These central bank digital currencies, how do they work? So it's a digital currency and an all digital system that can be controlled centrally. We are about to face one of the greatest periods on certain. Okay, so you hear, I mean, that's in their own words, you know, saying it mm. out loud. So it's surveillance under the skin. It's the introduction of the central bank digital currencies. If you want to read the patents or learn more about the technology, just type in MIT quantum dot or quant network. That's the name of the central bank digital currency system. <laughs> Got it. So, 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 so reawaken tour is basically a response to the great um, reset. The Great Reset. Yes. And I, and, I, and I don't want to do the tour, and I didn't want to do the tour, and I would love to stop doing mm. the tour. So as soon as the Great Reset is stopped, if it is stopped, my plan is to go to the base of a, a mountain somewhere, or maybe the top of the mountain somewhere, somewhere on the side of a mountain, uh, hop into a cabin. <laughs> a mountain will be involved. 
and continue, <laughs> yes, continue with more of an Amish lifestyle. Because I, 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 though I have had success in business, and some people oh, call man. me a tech entrepreneur, and some people call me an entrepreneur, whatever, I really do prefer spending time with my wife and my five kids and a very small, yeah. a very small, um, social circle. So the dynamic about you two that you guys have exists between my friends. I think a lot of my friends and I, we don't necessarily agree on every single subject, but we don't sit there and like attack each other online and go, no, oh, you're going to hell, you demon. You know, it's like we, we, <laughs> yeah, what we believe to be true. We have a discussion, you know, you could like the pack, the Packers. I could like the Patriots. We're not going to fight about it. And there's a lot of adults though, that don't operate that way. And I just prefer not to be around uh, people that spend their day attacking each other and arguing and this urgent emotional, you know, rules for radicals reading group of psychopaths. I just I would rather be off the grid and just doing my own thing. So I I um I hope we can stop the Great Reset because if not, central bank digital currencies don't like a good idea. Yeah. So it's like so basically it's the fact that they're going to try to put a microchip. Like they're they're developing a microchip that they can implant into our skin that Correct. then allows us to do like well, commerce or if we don't. So what's the danger of it? I guess so. What? Yeah. Like I can have like a, a pacemaker in my heart, but yeah. I understand it's different. So what? Help me understand the danger. Like so, what am I like? Okay, yeah. cryptocurrency, centralized well, currency. This is the Wall Street. Journal. Help me understand the danger. The Wall Street Journal reported on this. This is their reporting on this last week. So I'm just going to play a little 10-second clip here. This is... For example, Fanusi says China's central bank could put an expiration date on the digital money, similar to how lottery winnings have to be spent before a certain date. It means that the Chinese government could set up a whole lot of things to have your currency maybe valid or invalid based on its own priorities. This is almost like handing over the keys to your business or to your finance department in some ways because you really can't control what at the end of the day may happen with the, the funds that you're holding. That's how that works. Okay, so it's like a, like a digital dictatorship. So the idea is they're putting biosensors under the skin so you can't can't buy or sell unless you adhere to the narrative. So if you leave your 15-minute city, they call it, uh, then you can't buy anything. If you post something on social media they don't agree with, you can't buy anything. If you don't eat enough meat or you eat too much meat, you can't buy anything. If you spend too much or you don't spend enough, they, you know. so the idea is they take away your financial freedom, which is ultimate, the ultimate form of slavery. It's like uh, so, so I guess, <laughs> like, like uh, as, par as part of your you know, push to promote the reawaken tour. Um, you know, I, I, I'm assuming that you're using some of your keen business acumen to, to, to really promote it, which, which you're, you're doing a phenomenal job. Uh, but, but also you're a, you're a believer in Jesus. Um, yeah. and, and I don't know if, if whether or not you consider your profession a ministry or not, but, but like, how, how do you think Jesus would view your work, um, with well, the reawaken tour and some of those one is, I would say, um, I would describe myself as a struggling evangelist. Struggling meaning mm. that it's a struggle. It's fair. Um, you know, mm. but it, we have about five to 600 people per event that participate in the baptism. And I, I, I greet people. So, Will, if you guys ever come to an event, I'd love you to be a guest of mine. I'd get you backstage and you meet everybody. But I get there at 5 a.m. 
each morning. The doors open at 6. I, I'm, I'm ready to go by 5, I'd say. So I'm there about 3 in the morning, usually walking the grounds, making sure everything works. And when the doors open, I greet as many people as I can. I say, hey, welcome. And they're like, it's you. You're the guy. And General Flynn's with me. So he and I are greeting people at 5 and 6 in the morning. So we do that, and people are like, I can't believe you're greeting us. We're like, we can't believe you're here. And we connect, and we fellowship. <laughs> and then when the baptisms happen, I always tell people, my whole thing is for this is for you to discover the truth about all this fraud and corruption. But ultimately, I hope that you can enter into a life-changing relationship with Christ. You know, that's, that's my, my whole plan to save the nation involves salvation. I just want to save individual souls. That's my purpose. So I, I people come to the event, I think, because they see Michael Lindell or, you know, Stella mm. May- Pastor Leon Benjamin or Jim Brewer, and they're like, I don't know what this is. I think there's a curiosity. Like one third of our group is, I, I, I talk to people and I ask them, you know, why did you come? I think a third are like, well, I saw the hit piece on you, so that sounded kind of crazy. I kind of needed some excitement. You know, people like, the same reason you go see WCW <laughs> or Monster Trucks or MMA, <laughs> just want to be something crazy, you know? But I think one third are like, uh, I believe in God and my pastor won't talk about anything at all, so I have no context biblically of what's going on. And then another group hmm. is like, you know, uh, they are maybe more politically active and some of these topics make sense to them. So they show up and it's never what they thought it was. I wouldn't describe it as a bait and switch. I would just describe it as like a very, very much more prayerful, worshipful, high energy, high octane, irreverent. It's almost like Dave Chappelle meets ministry. People, I mean, laugh. So <laughs> it's so it's so irreverent. I mean, Jim Brewer's comedy is so wild. He, he hopped up on the stage in Nashville. I'm paraphrasing, but Jim goes, how many of you want to stop the Great Reset? You know, people are like, woo! And he's like, well, I'm trying to stop it in my house. My mother-in-law, <laughs> she won't stop wearing a mask. He starts talking about his mother-in-law. She's wearing a mask and she can't, can't get him to stop. And, you know, and he's, he's making it real that, like, here we have these big issues, but in our own household, you got people who's like, but apparently the virus isn't deadly when you're going out to dinner, you know, because if you sit down at the restaurant, then the virus can't get you. But if you stand up, it can get you in the lobby. So you wear the mask in the lobby because it's a very tall virus that's very inflexible. And he has a lot of fun with the, the flexibility and the aggressiveness of the virus and the spatial awareness of the virus and how it can get you in nice. the lobby, but not when you're sitting down. And people of all faiths and backgrounds are like, that's so true. But somebody's wearing the mask going, <laughs> dude, that's you. You know, so there's that. Um, and then there's, mm. just, I don't know. And I try to make, make the line. We have 71 speakers. You know, so like today, I won't mention the guy's name because I don't have it confirmed yet. We had a guy today reach out who apparently used to be in charge of America's legal system. Just this morning, I haven't talked to him yet. Okay, this guy used to be in charge of America's legal system. Now, Will and Josh, I don't know. I I, I know the name. We could Google it and we go, oh, okay, that's who you are. And everyone would know the name, but I don't know the person. So I call my mm-hmm. homies that know me and I go, do you know this guy? Is he like Newman from Seinfeld, or is this a good guy? Is this Newman? And they're <laughs> like, right. oh, no, this is a good guy. But I don't, I don't know, because this, this isn't my world. Politics is not my world. So every speaker that speaks that's right. terrible is my fault. Hmm. And every speaker that yeah. just rocks the mic, I'll take a little credit for Because I don't delegate anything <laughs> of, the, of, the, of the speakers. I don't have a committee. And that's very alarming for people when they hear that, because people are like, that last speaker you had was terrible. Who would choose them? They'll come up and tell me at the event. Sir, mm-hmm. I want you to know I love your event, but that speaker you chose was an idiot. Who chose that guy? Yeah. Going, that would be me. And so it's it's yeah. a very interesting thing, and we're all discovering who the good guys are. And I don't know. I, I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah, you, you know, and and you, you so you've mentioned um, COVID um, a few times, and I and I'm curious because. 
like I, I think I, COVID was an exercise to kind of see how people behave when the plane is going down. Um, and, you know, you've got the people that will either pray or you got the people that will curse. Um, and, and, and I think that some of the, the interventions like the mask and what have you um, were very misunderstood. Maybe we got some really bad information on the front end, but, you know, me personally, like I, I believe COVID was real. I believe that the vaccination is safe. Um, and, and, and I, and I don't, I don't just do that because the people on TV tell me it's safe. You know, I do it because like my, my son recently just had a, a brain tumor removed. He's nine. Um, and we've been, we've been sort of going through this whole long medical thing. And, 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 and I remember like when the vaccines first became available to him, I, I asked multiple doctors that he was seeing, Hey, is this safe for him to take? Is this safe for him to take? You know, all of them said yes. Um, and, and, and I'm curious on like, how do you, how do you reconcile what you feel, believe, know about COVID versus, you know, say like what I know, believe and feel about, about COVID. Well, the models that said that 2.2 million people would die are false. So they were off by 25 times. So um, Burks, who, um, you know, was the one kind of initially pushing the fear of the Scarf Queen. Um, and uh, so <laughs> Scarf Queen. <laughs> she said this out loud. I'll just play this for you. She said this. I'm sure many of you saw the recent report out of the UK about them adjusting completely their needs. Um, this is really quite important. If you remember, that was the report that said there would be 500,000 deaths in the UK and 2.2 million deaths in the United States. They've adjusted that number in the UK to 20,000. So half a million to 20,000. We're looking into this in great detail to understand that adjustment. I knew these vaccines were not going to protect against infection. And I think we overplayed the vaccines and it made people then. Hey, that's that sort of, you know, I, I, I just know that the models that said that 2.2 million people would die are false. So, and then um, back to the treatability. Um, Dr. Zelenko is a friend of mine from uh, New York. May he rest in peace. Uh, he was a friend of mine. Uh, Dr. Jim Meehan is a friend of mine. He's still alive. Um, Dr. Sherwood still alive. Uh, Dr. Richard Bartlett's still alive. And Dr. Richard Bartlett and Sherwood and Meehan and Zelenko, between the four of them, treated 37,000 patients total with three deaths when they hit 37,000. Because we would track, we would touch base every day. So, you know, I mean, I'm not saying that the virus itself didn't exist. I just know that three out of th three out of 37,000 people that they treated with budesonide, ivermectin, and hydroxychloroquine uh, died. And then um, as far as why do people die? Remdesivir is a drug patented by George Soros in China, and midazolam is a breath suppressant. So remdesivir is a drug patented by George Soros in China, and midazolam is a breath suppressant. And so if you take remdesivir and midazolam, that will cause death. And so most people that I know who work in hospitals blindly follow protocols. So I've met a lot of the doctors who've done their research, and now they've discovered, hey, what you were saying was right. But I don't listen to doctors. I don't have any respect for doctors, don't respect pastors, don't respect political leaders, don't respect mechanics, don't respect dentists. I have no respect for experts at all, because most experts that I know, regardless of their political affiliations, blindly follow pro protocols, because they're taught that to memorize is the key to success. Mm. Mm, so what do you feel like is the key to success? You've find the problem and solve it. So, find you know, the problem and solve it. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah so he's, totally. if you're Dr. Sherwood, I mean, he doesn't watch the media. He doesn't listen to other doctors. He just goes, every patient that came in with COVID, um, I gave them the test that we're supposed to give them, which is a PCR test. They would test positive. I'd treat them with budesonide, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine. No one died. And that happened 10,000 times for him. Plus, I mean, now it's more than that. It's probably 15,000 or even more now. But that's, that's just, you know. Mm-hmm. But he's never had a death. That's amazing, man. That's amazing. So, like, you had talked about, like, your disrespect for both, like, I don't know if disrespect is the right word, but for both the Republican and Democrat uh, party, like the whole political system. Um, Has it always been like this? Or do you feel like it's changed and become worse? And now it's elicited something of a response within you because... I can only comment to something shifted, right? I can only comment to what I know. I I can't comment on, you know, the historic. I I know in 1971 that Klaus Schwab started the World Economic Forum. I know that that happened. I know in 1971, Klaus Schwab started the World Economic Forum per the recommendation of Henry Kissinger. I know in 1971, per the recommendation of Henry Kissinger, a Republican, Richard Nixon, took us off the gold standard. What? Yeah. So the son of of a guy, Klaus Schwab whose dad was friends with Hitler, started the World Economic Forum, and Henry Kissinger told him to do it. Okay? <laughs> Seriously, this guy would be considered like the most progressive progressive in the history of progressives. Okay, this is him. Okay? So be like left. Then you have on the right, was like Richard Nixon, who's supposed to be like the rightest of the right, the right, 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 right. He took us off the gold standard per the recommendation of Henry Kissinger. They both had the same advisor. Then at that same time period, we introduced what's called the petrodollar, which is a weird relationship with, with, with Saudi Arabia where we say, hey, uh, if you export oil at a price that we like to countries that like we like and price it in U.S. dollars and deposit the profits in U.S. banks, we will protect you militarily. And that all happened per the recommendation of Henry Kissinger. And then the decision to export our jobs began in 1972 per Richard Nixon and the recommendation of Henry Kissinger again. What? And Klaus Schwab is still good friends with Henry Kissinger. So the World Economic Forum was founded in 1971. And since that time, there have been people on both sides that say various things, but I just watch what they do. So I'm not really uh, a fan of what people say. I don't care what they say. I watch what they do. So again, going back to mm. COVID as an example, or mechanics, this is just a real, real example. Um, I have hairstylists who work in one of my businesses. They cut hair. And some are terrible and some are great. What? You employ bad people. Hundreds of employees. (laughs) So we have mystery shoppers that come in. And when my mystery shoppers, these are people I'm paying to be customers. They come in and go, hey, man, that lady who cut my hair today, she's a disaster. Or that guy, he's horrible. Or that person's good. Or that person's great. Or that person's But I send in mystery shoppers. I don't listen to what they say. I don't care what the stylist says about their hair cutting skills. I care about feedback from people that get their hair cut. That's what I do. It's a, it's like overall paranoia, a lack of trust for any, it's not a political thing. So you mm. know, I have people in my life. This isn't a political thing. This is just my life. I have friends and family that call me and go, I think I have COVID. Go, okay, great. Go to Meehan. He's a medical doctor or go to Sherwood. He's mm. a naturopath. Both of them have now treated 20,000 patients between the two of them with zero deaths. I don't care how you don't die, but just don't die. And none of them died. And now I had a doctor. I won't mention his name because I think you should, um, not mention someone's name unless they've given you permission to do so. But there's a big time doctor in Tulsa who came into my office, sat next to me seven days ago, and he came in and he said, Hey, I know that remdesivir now kills people, and so does my Dazalam. And I just wanted you to know that, that you guys have been right for a long time. So, okay. But, and I'm not mad at him, but he followed <laughs> Thanks. I said to him, Can I ask you why you've just locked into this idea in March of 2023? 
And he goes, because everybody that I knew that was taking my Dazolam or Remdesivir was dying, and nobody was dying on your protocols. And so I uh, had a little COVID scare myself. So I treated myself with budesonide, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, these things, and I didn't die. And there was no way I was going to mm. treat myself with my Dazolam and Remdesivir. And I'm like, so you wouldn't have treated yourself with what you were treating your patients. And he's like, see, that's where, it, you know. And so, again, I'm just saying most people follow mo i mean most people are like richard nixon woo yeah republican yeah i love it woo because it's like if you're a republican you got richard nixon's a man right i mean that's just what people do and yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't look at it like that i don't just blindly say republicans are awesome I, I cannot do it i cannot i won't do it so i i just i reject the idea of just trusting experts in general and whether it's hairstylists or doctors or right. you know mm. So, so, so the fallibility there. Oh, go ahead, Will. No, I was going to say so. So, if I'm if I'm understanding you you correctly, like you you would support you know me reaching sort of my conclusion about COVID treatment, what have you, because like I've done my research, talked to experts. You know, I'm not going to go to medical school to try to learn it myself. You know, so I just have to trust people that 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 I believe care about me. Um, and and you know would 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 treat COVID however I I see best for for me and my family like and and for you like you have sort of a different a conclusion based off of your conversations your knowledge um, from people that you believe care about you as well like is, is that a fair assessment um, or recap of, of what you just said? Um. I think that as a libertarian, my worldview overall is that you can view, believe what you want to believe. I mean, if someone wants to dress up like an Ewok every day, that's okay. If that's what they want to do, you know, I just don't want to like financially support people that um, have that dressing up like an Ewok prevents them from earning an income. Therefore, they want me, mm. you know. So I just kind of like a, I'm a <laughs> libertarian. You know, so again, if if your conclusion is that the vaccine is effective and you want to take it, I'm not going to bar you from doing it. I'm also not going to bar someone from um, smoking, eating ice cream, eating only vegetables, working out every day, never working out, liking the Chiefs, not liking the Chiefs, you know, the whole thing. <laughs> All of that, right? All of that that comes together, important things in life. You know, I, obviously, you're someone who loves um, the pursuit of truth. You yep. have obviously spent a lot in... Um, um, of money and of your own resources to try to get a message out there that you think is really important and that is truthful and that's very commendable. And I really appreciate you that about you when you get like, um, you know, people come to you with statements or whatever that are contradictory, um, to what you believe or, or, you know, they're coming in, let's say they're coming in guns hot and they want to argue. Of course, everything has to do with someone's motivations. But how do you handle um, these counterclaims to what you do? And what I mean is like, what's your method for kind of handling them? Is it like, uh, does it just depend on the person that's bringing them to them? Do, like, is there a process you go through for testing their validity or anything like that? Or is it uh, just... Yeah, what do you what do you think when people not, come I'm to you not, with counter? Well, I'm not claiming that I'm a a genius. Um, 
you know, I just, it's a thing of like, I, I don't, I don't listen to anybody about for business advice. I won't do it. I just won't. There's nobody who's talking right now, hmm. your show or any show. I'm not going to listen to business advice unless you've already had success. And if you want to walk me through the right. path that you took in route to getting there, then I'd be happy to do it. You know, but, but it's just, it's looking to see the fruit. Yeah. I mean, I just want to know what works. You yeah. Know? And you want to know if it works or not. Yeah. And most people just don't look at it that way. It's all it's just most people, you know, it's like, is this person endorsed by this famous person? I don't, I don't, hmm. you know, your, your ability to brand something doesn't impact whether it's accurate or not. Uh, the motivation, <laughs> the urgency of like, you got to get serious. You got to get, you got to, you got to, you got to get motivated and woo. That whole motivational thing doesn't work on me either. Uh, the, the estimation of loss. If you don't buy it now, you're going to miss out. That doesn't work on me either. Um, the whole, I just, I don't, I don't participate in it. So I, I just don't, I just look at what works. And so, you know, I, if you go to thrivetimeshow.com and you look at the clients I've worked with, they're all having massive success, not because I'm a genius. It's because I have a program. It's month to month, right? So hmm. you're not roping you into a contract. I only make a small percentage of your growth. So why would I, like my, my motives are aligned with my clients. So that's why they grow because I want to help them grow. You know, I don't say $5,000 a month locked into my 12 month program to get rich quick, be part of my magic money system. I don't do that. It's like, I'll pay you, charge you a flat fee, get a small percentage of the growth. And, and that's why it works, you know, cause I have a mutually aligned interest with you. Oh yeah, totally. Totally. I mean, what, so how do you test for like an ex, like for, for instance, like an expert, like um, forget about expert. How do you grow to trust someone and trust the information that you're receiving from them? It's just based on their track record. Or is there more? Yeah, I don't receive information from people, so I don't know how to respond to that. Where do you receive information? What do you just? Uh, yeah, what do you do? I don't. Do you I go, go see. Well, I mean, I, I know that the Ray Kurzweil wants to connect your neocortex to the internet. I know this because he talks about it. Mm. And so I just read patents that involve connecting your neocortex to the internet. And then I watch videos uh, at the World Economic Forum where he talks about connecting your neocortex to the internet. And I just, I just reject pretty much all sources of information about every subject ever. Except- so I just, that's what I do. So like, I don't listen to, I don't listen to like pastors at all. <laughs> Why would I want Ooh, to? Josh, take that. No, I'm just saying, I read the Bible. Now, if a pastor is talking about something, I like the idea that he's saying it, and then I'll go look in the Bible to see if it's true. So just this Sunday, the church that I go to, Pastor Jackson Lawmeyer was teaching from the sure. Bible, and I'm following along, sure. and I'm like, what he said is accurate. But I don't just blindly trust what he's saying because he's a pastor. Right. And totally. I just think that right. people totally. have the mindset that most things are not true. Trust but verify. You know what I mean? Trust but verify, then the yeah. world will be a better place. Yeah. So that's kind of the you know, method. This it's idea like trust but verify. I, I, that makes sense. Trust as in like, I think you're a good guy. You're, I hope you're not lying to me, but I'm going to go check it out. Because again, facts I'm giving your listeners here in closing. 85% of employees admit to lying on their resumes, according to Inc. Magazine. 75% of employees admit to stealing from the workplace, according to the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. And 96% of businesses fail, according to Inc. Magazine. Not good statistics. The statistics for being faithful in marriage aren't much higher either. So I'm just not going to blindly trust anybody with anything ever. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you know, um, so, so uh, just, just like two like more two questions, questions if, if you can just entertain us. Um, I'd love um, to get your thoughts about what, 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 uh, what you what think you about think Christian about nationalism. nationalism. Well, I'm a Christian, 
and I'm not a globalist. So I'm a Christian non-globalist. And so I do believe <laughs> that uh, governments should be instituted amongst men to uphold our rights. Mm. So the way the Christian faith yeah. works, at least as, as I read the Bible, is um, God's the ultimate judge. God's given us principles we're supposed to li live by, adhere to, we're supposed to, um, that's what we're supposed to do. You know, having a relationship with Jesus Christ is like having a relationship with a compass. It's like the true North Star guides you. The, you know, every decision mm. should be made through that perspective right so yeah, that being yeah. said christ is you know in the bible there's countless stories but somebody wants to stone a woman for being a prostitute and christ is like hey mm. you know let the person who has sin to be the first one to throw the stone so as an example if there's somebody out there that wants to be a muslim and wants to to pray all day and do the muslim prayer all day that's great if there's a christian who wants to do the christian prayer all day that's okay i'm not going to sit there and go oh i'm gonna ban muslims Rah! you know i'm gonna ban christians Rah! i'm just i'm a libertarian i believe in the free will it's my mindset yeah, and and my my last well, second last my second or last anyways um uh pr president for twenty twenty four um any thoughts pontifications um hopes um, dreams wants well I I think that um Trump represents the best uh um option for people that want to reject the Republican establishment I mean he constantly runs uh, in opposition to the Republican establishment um. I think that would be the, the most – I wanted Ben Carson to win the first time when you know Trump was running. That was my guy, Ben Carson. And then uh, Ben was beat by President Trump. And I've actually you know met with President Trump, and I have a lot of respect for him. Um, and I can just say that um, I think President Trump is the best option right now if we want to see the economy rebound. We want to see um, the policies that he had in place put back in effect. But if we want to continue to see endless wars in the Middle East or Ukraine, uh, it's the Uniparty. Because the Uniparty has to have an endless war. We can do a whole show about that. But they have to have a war with somebody. It's a great way to funnel money to it. And to it, that's what they do. And I, and again, endless wars are is a, is a strategy that both Republicans and Democrats have used forever. Yeah. And, and, and you know, one, one thing that, that, I, that I know that's kind of new, and I, I don't know if you can speak to this or not, but um, um, I saw that there's a like a Dominion lawsuit between you and, and Eric oh, Coomer, awesome. I believe. Yeah, it's more, it's kind of, Eric Coomer, the former head of security and strategy for Dominion. Um, by the way, this Eric Coomer, if you go to rumble.com and search his name, Eric Coomer, he ran a moving vehicle into a parked building during the middle of the day while so intoxicated that he hit the building. He lied to police. You have to watch the video. The police are wearing a body camera. And they're like, sir, did you hit that building? And he says, uh, not that I remember. I mean, what? I mean, that's pretty awesome. So that Eric Coomer, uh, who also went on social media, and let everybody know that he clearly doesn't like people that voted for Trump or like conservatives. He is suing me for defamation. So that's mm -hmm. awesome. So I'm, I'm being sued for allowing speakers at the event to talk about election integrity issues. Got him. Um, yeah, to well, uh, I guess good. Spend a lot of money. <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, um, um, I want to be I want to be sensitive with your time. Yes, and I just want to thank you, so Clay, much. for for spending some time with us. Uh, we, yeah. we learned a lot. We 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 know that the reawaken tour is pretty important to uh, a certain segment of our of our listener base. Um, and yes, um, yeah, we just wish you, you know, all the uh, success in the in the world. Seems like you, you won't have any problem with that with with all your your sweet business <laughs> skills. Well, business is, is uh, what I do well, but it doesn't matter. 
I would not be able to enjoy the fruits of being a successful capitalist if we didn't have freedom of capitalism. So um, what I do is is, um, sort of a useless skill in a communist society. So I'm trying to prevent the implementation of the Marxist communist globalist strategy. So that's what I'm trying to do here. So I do appreciate you guys very much, Will and Josh. And again, if anybody wants to get those tickets to the Reawakened America Tour, uh, Trump Doral in May or Las Vegas, Nevada in August, you can get those tickets at timetofreeamerica.com and you can see the lineup of all 70 plus speakers. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. Well, yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's sad. We, I, I think we we just missed the one that was in Virginia Beach. I don't know, a couple months I give ago or something. Invitation. I'm saying it on air. We have audio record of it. I'm giving <laughs> you guys a free backstage pass if you want to come be a part of it. 